For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Welcome to The Rock Podcast. The last half of the book of Daniel is about future events. Daniel has four prophetic dreams. The first one appears here in chapter 7 and describes four progressive world empires that culminate with Christ's appearance at the second coming. The Lord Jesus conquers the Antichrist and his forces and establishes once and for all the eternal kingdom of God. Let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Countdown to Armageddon. Well, I've been saying that uh, I've come up with the world's simplest outline of the book of Daniel, the 12 chapters. I haven't seen one as easy as mine. Uh, Chapters one through six, it's a two-part outline, and I've been sharing it with you. One through six is is really how to live for God uh, in a hostile world without compromising, right? And then uh, chapters 7 through 12, the last half of the book, is uh, why you'll be glad you did, right? And so I've been sharing that uh, because now we've come to the second half of the Old Testament book, Daniel. And uh, in chapters 1 through 6, we saw uh, really how to uh, live without caving in. Uh, to the pressures of the world and our own sinful nature and all of that. And so uh, we saw how not to be seduced or brainwashed uh, by the world. We saw how to walk in wisdom and let our light shine in a dark world and how to glorify God. Uh, We also saw saw how not to bow to the pressure, even if it puts us in harm's uh, way, and that Jesus will walk with us in the fire and... uh, Rescue us from the lion's mouths, and we will always emerge unharmed when we live for him. So now it's time for the second half of the book, chapter 7 through chapter 12. And uh, uh, it's, it really shows how the world is going to end, right? And so let me just say, if we live like Daniel lived and Daniel's three friends lived, we have nothing to fear about the, the wrath of God falling on a Christ-rejecting world. And it shall fall because it has been promised uh, as such. And so if we live like Daniel, we have nothing to fear. And I think really that's kind of the point of putting those six chapters before all uh, heaven breaks loose, as it were, uh, even as we see tonight. So uh, 7 through 12, the remaining chapters, they're prophetic. And essentially, as I said, the countdown to the second coming. Now, um, these remaining chapters, there's four prophetic dreams. And tonight is the overarching dream. So it's the dream that kind of takes the time from Daniel's day all the way to the second coming and the establishing of the millennial kingdom, right? Now, the rest of the dreams that follow, the three that will come in the uh, remaining chapters, are kind of smaller components of the overarching dream. So tonight is the, is the big picture, and uh, uh, it's, you're in for a treat. Uh, there's a lot going on in this chapter. Uh, and so uh, perhaps one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, really, uh, it's about 555 B.C., and Daniel gets a dream that starts at 555 B.C. and goes all the way to the appearance 
of the, of the uh, lawless one, as he's called, or the beast, the Antichrist, and the appearance of uh, Jesus coming in the clouds with great glory. So uh, it spans quite uh, a number of years. And so uh, heads up, if you want to know what's coming, uh, it's pretty much a nightmare. And uh, the apocalypse that we're going to see, apocalypse is the Greek uh, word, English word taken from the Greek, which means the revelation. So really in Greek, the word for revelation, the book that we have is the apocalypse. And so this apocalypse here, Daniel, uh, leaves him deeply troubled and, and, quote, very pale. So even though there's a victorious ending, it still is quite unnerving. And so with that, let's take a look at uh, verses 1 through 8, the dream. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, so chronologically, we are at in the middle of chapter 4 and 5. Okay, of Daniel. So we're back in time a little bit. So in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night I looked and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked in there before me yet another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth that spoke boastfully. All right, so let's park there. Um, maybe the caption should read, Lions, Tigers, and Bears, oh my. <laughs> I stole that from Nick Conley. <laughs> yeah, well, um, number one, of course, now we're going to see a dream, really, that is another version, a divine perspective on a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And so, heads up on that, it's the same theme, different dream, but it's, it's God's spin on the same idea, the timeline, the countdown of the kingdoms. And so, if you are taking notes, you could uh, say probably the beastly nature of the kingdom of, of man. Right, So uh, we are looking at God's take on this previous revelation that was given in Daniel chapter 2, the dream. Now, you'll remember the dream. It was quite frightening to King Nebuchadnezzar of the, of the statue, 
right? And so uh, really, the, the, what the dream was about, as we learned, was um, the fourfold progression of the kingdoms of the world. The statue of the man, and this is good for the context so that it'll be helpful with the animals, all right? Uh, the statue of the man was in a state of decline, and back to the other one just for a second. It was in a state of decline. So from the gold to the silver to the bronze to the iron to the feet with the ten toes mixed with clay. But really what was important that showed the decline of all the kingdoms and, and Christ would come and, and God's kingdom would come and, and encounter the ten toes down here. So the feet, an extension of uh, what we determined as the, uh, the Roman Empire. And so uh, uh, then we walked through it. And so the next slide here, walking through, and this will be helpful, is, is it was Babylon. And then it went to the, the Medes and Persians, and then to ancient Greece, and then to Rome. And then the, the feet and the and, and the toes of the ten, right, mixed with clay, the rock was the big deal. And let me quote a little bit of what Daniel was given about the rock. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. It was cut out of a mountain without human hands, and it was thrown down from heaven to, to make contact with the ten toes and the feet. So that's important to remember, okay, because that's the kingdom of the end. All right, and so um, the, the, the ten toes and the clay and iron mixture uh, there, uh, we're somewhere at the ankles, all right? And how do we know that? Well, because the kingdom of God that comes, Christ comes, he makes contact with this. So we know Rome is done, right? But the extension of what will come from Europe in a ten-nation uh, coalition has not happened because that's where Christ comes and that this is Armageddon down here all right and so that just gives us a a little bit of a reminder okay so God why does he want to go to this dream again well he's kind of constrained with Nebuchadnezzar right he can give the dream now a divine uh, perspective to Daniel and speak to Daniel and interpret it for Daniel and so we're going to take a look at that uh, now uh, it's the same sort of idea. And it begins here. Let's dig in. We'll go back to the thank you. It begins with uh, the wind and the chaos on the seas. Now, the seas there in verse 2, uh, biblical typology usually of the sea of humanity. And so from the sea of humanity or the Gentile nations, and if you're a note taker, you find this in Psalm 74 or Isaiah 57, from the whirlwind of man's sin and corruption and lust and greed for power um, to dominate and to rule, up come these world empires. And so uh, really, we're going to have a comparison. Let me show you here how it is. The gold, Babylon. We've got the lion. And the silver, right, is going to be the Medes and the Persians, the Medes and the Persians. And then we've got the, the bronze, right, and the Greeks. And then a, a fourth kingdom with the, uh, an, a beast that he can't even describe, right? But then with the ten horns uh, and that last kingdom, from this beast comes a resurrection of ten. 
There's the 10 again. So this is the, this is the same dream, only with beasts, all right? Now, what I like about that is that it's God's take. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar or anybody like him has a dream about the world, he sees it as a regal statue of a man, you know, with gold and precious metals, right? God sees the same thing, the kingdoms of the world, as wild animals, brute beasts, merciless, uh, grotesque, monster-like, predatorial. Uh, just, you know, you get the picture there. So the, the, the four beasts are now described. And, and they're really four beasts, but they're five kingdoms, if you count the horns. Because the horn and the little horn, they're a kingdom in and of itself. And so we've got four animals to talk about. Let's dive in. I've got a nice picture to keep us focused, okay? All right, one, two, three, four, five, up in here. This is Armageddon, all right? So let's talk about that. All right, so we've got the winged lion, the lopsided bear, the four-headed leopard, the freakish beast with the iron teeth, and the one little guy who pops up in the middle of a 10-coalition kingdom. Uh, he has haughty eyes and a big mouth. That's what the Bible says. All right, so we're good to go. Let's talk about the lion with the wings. That's an easy one. Of course, we've already been told much of this, but this is Babylon, all right? So the lion with the wings, very swift. Babylon came in, ruled 70 years, and just kind of was king of the earth. Now, what's really cool about this, and by the way, Jeremiah talks about Babylon in both images of king and wings of an eagle. So we know it's Babylon, all right? So uh, King uh, Nebuchadnezzar was lifted up with pride. He had his wings torn off. He crashed to the earth like a, a wild animal and had seven years of dementia. And then God says, this beast became a man. He became a man. This is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony you're reading about. The wings get plucked out, and then the lion stands up like a man and is given the heart of a man, your text says. That's Nebuchadnezzar's Christian conversion. And, and, and it's beautiful because God's saying the, the worldly, brute, beast governance of man, the only way you can have a godly leader that will turn somebody from an animal into a human being with a heart of wisdom and compassion is a Christian conversion with the Holy Spirit give them a new heart. And so you have Nebuchadnezzar's uh, testimony in the first description of the winged lion that uh, gets ripped his wings off, but better the wings come off in the heart of a man than keep the wings on and perish as a beast. Amen. Amen. So uh, number two, there is the bear. Now that victorious, uh, ponderous, uh, voracious appetite, he just kind of takes over, and that's Darius the Mede and King Cyrus of Persia. It is a slow, crushing kingdom uh, the armies of Persia were, were well known for being just like a bear, slow, strong, and steady, and persistent, and just this huge lust for power. And so it's lopsided. Your text says the bear is lopsided. The Medes and the Persians, there you go. Uh, the, the Persians were more um, 
numerous and stronger. And really, when you talk about it, sometimes they leave off the Medes, even though they were together. And, and right out of a history lesson, the three ribs in the mouth of the bear, right out of, all you have to do is read history. And, and it'll say, Persia took three kingdoms. The Lydian kingdom in 546 BC, the Chaldean kingdom in 539 BC, and Egypt. Well, the first one, Lydia, it was in Turkey. It was half of Turkey, all right? And the second one, Chaldea, uh, was in the Fertile Crescent. It's Iraq and Iran, those areas there. And Egypt is Egypt. Now, uh, so we got the second kingdom, all right? So the transition there was 208 years of bear, all right? And then this dashing young military genius brings the lopsided bear down. His name is Alexander the Great, all right? And so now we're at the cool leopard. Now, when I first started reading it, it was a leopard with four wings, and I thought that was cool. And then it said, and he had four heads, and I was like, uncool. <laughs> Uh, the four, this is the Greek empire, all right? And so the four wings, swift. A leopard is fast enough, but to put four wings on it, God is saying there was nothing as speedy and agile as Alexander the Great, and in 12 years, he conquered the world. This is world history. This is in high school. This is what I was taught in secular schools. This guy, by the time he was in his early 30s, uh, he had already taken half of Europe and all of Asia, right? And so uh, swiftly. And then he dies at 35, and guess what your history books tell you? When he died, he willed Greek empire to four of his generals, four. I've got their names right here, all four heads. Lysimachus, number one. Cassander, number two. Seleucus, number three. And Ptolemy, number four. Four guys, four names, four, they shared. How could Daniel, Daniel might have been able to guess the Medes and the Persians, but there's no way he's going to guess about a swift kingdom that comes in and that gets divided into four heads. Uh, just uh, read the history books. They validate the scriptures. And so the four-headed leopard, the Greek rule, was doing well for 180 years until something, quote, verse 7, terrifying, dreadfully frightening, and exceedingly powerful came. And it was a monstrous steamroller, kind of tore up everything in front of it with iron teeth, flattened anything that remained of the three former kingdoms, and that beast's name was Rome. Now, that went on because, and why is it different from all the rest? Because it was the most organized. It was the most devoted to the state. It was the strongest. It was the largest. It had the, the greatest span of time, close to a 1,000 years. If you take both legs and look at the legs, two legs, they're, they're, you can, in your history classes, Eastern and Western Roman empires, two legs, just if you go back to the uh, other vision. And so you've got this beast that has trampled uh, the world, and, and it did. And Christianity was born under that beast. 
That's where we were born. Jesus came in. Who was ruling? Who do you think Pontius Pilate? Pontius Pilate is part of this dude. Pontius Pilate. Nero, who put Paul to death. All the Herods, they're all under Roman authority. And so Christianity was born with the beast of Rome. It's kind of hard to believe that Rome had that kind of uh, intimidation. Because you think of Italy now. And, you know, if you're Italian, forgive me. But, you know, it's not very scary. You've got man purses and you've got... (laughs) You've got little Vespas scooting around and people drinking cappuccinos and eating spaghetti and what? I, I, I mean, are you just, that? I don't think so. That, that, that just tells you, uh, you know what? God can take down just about anything, you know? And so let's talk about, now those are the four animals. Not so hard, right? We want to know it's fascinating is what's coming because Rome already came and went and we're in a period of divided kingdoms where there's not really one world ruler, right? Until this happens. And so we've got the next picture. Okay. On top of the head of that Roman beast are 10 horns. Your text tells you that from the 10 horns, One horn comes up and displaces three, all right? So there's a coalition of 10, all right? And the the horn we're talking about that's going to lead the 10 nation or kingdoms, it says it's kingdoms coming up here. He's got eyes, haughty eyes, and a big blasphemous mouth that speaks arrogantly against the most high God. Now, we've only got four animals, but listen, something in between the time of Rome and the second coming happens with 10 nations. It's always 10. In Revelation, it's 10 horns. It's 10 heads. It's always that the, the, the Armageddon, the last human governance that meets the Lord is always a number 10. 10 toes, 10 horns, 10 crowns. Everywhere you look, so we got a good clue here, right? So up from this 10 thing, that's related to what? Where did it come from? Oh, we know where it came from. It comes from Europe. It comes from Rome. It doesn't have to be from Italy or Rome. It comes from that region. So there's a revival. The horns grow from that. And so you will find that... Most commentators and scholars will say that this is a 10-nation league, that this guy emerges from nowhere, just comes in and usurps three of them. Three of them bow out, or he gets rid of three of them, right? But it's tied to a... So prophecy watchers are looking at Europe and sudden... And by the way, just let me tell you about Europe right now. Just read the papers. Europe is... It's like topsy-turvy, ready to just explode. Uh, Leaders in Europe are threatening each other. This new guy in Greece uh, and and the guy in London, the the prime uh, minister of London, they're having words. The guy from Greece just went to the Pope and tried to broker something between the Palestinians and Israel. This, This is good stuff. 
And I'm reading stuff like this. It's like, you, you know what? I'm not going to name names. Who knows? Nobody knows. But we know that it's 10 is an important number. And he leads it. More about him uh, coming up. All right, so let's move on. So the parade of beasts, the human uh, regime, regimes have come. Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and this last 10 nations somehow related to old Europe coming up uh, with one big mouth. Uh, that's what we've got. And so let's continue, 9 through 14. Time for a scene change. As I look, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. So now we've gone from the earth below to heaven. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throat was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated. The books were open. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was still speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain, that's him, and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. By the way, the other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. Hmm. He approached the Ancient of Days, that's very helpful, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. All right, so we've seen the beastly nature of man's rule and now the glorious nature of God's kingdom, the kingdom of God. So we have a vision. Now we've gone from uh, downstairs to upstairs, and it's a relief to see the contrast. The vision of God, verses 9 through 10. Very fitting. Did you notice in your Bibles, if you have them, that verses 9 and 10 are set off like poetry? It's prose. It is scripture poetry. And so what commentators say is that in contrast to the nightmare, the hellish nightmare on earth and man's doings, now you shift to heaven where you find a Lord seated on a throne that doesn't seem very anxious about anything. And you see the beauty of holiness, the white countenance and the white hair doesn't necessarily have to mean that he has white hair, just this white, bright, countenance of wisdom and purity, everything opposite from down below. You're getting a vision of this beautiful, uh, all-consuming God of this brilliance. Now, the Ancient of Days obviously means God, but it means God the Father because we have the Son of Man is Jesus. The Son of Man is a title that Jesus ascribes to himself from a passage that's coming. And uh, he, the Son of Man is the Messiah's name, really concentrating on the emphasis that he is the, that God was born into the human race. He's called the Son of Man. Uh, Eighty times it is used in the Gospels. It's Jesus' favorite way to call uh, to 
refer to himself. And, and so we're going to talk more about that. But first of all, you see, when, when Daniel looks up, he sees thrones being set in place. This is a response to the little bighorn. Okay? That in response to the blasphemous little super guy, all right, the president of the world, all right, Mr. I'll, I'll make peace with everybody and everybody's worshiping and loving and adoring him, but he's speaking blasphemous things to God. Uh, thrones are being set up, books are being opened, courts being um, convened about him, taking care of him. And, and so what does it say? The symbols, they're beautiful. Well, first of all, it says hundreds of millions in the Aramaic. It's hundreds of millions attending him. You know, you feel like you're the only Christian in your family, the only Christian on your block, the only Christian in your company. You know what? When you get to heaven, whoa. <laughs> you are going to be, your mind is going to be blown like, what? There are just seas and seas and seas and seas and seas. Millions upon millions upon millions of Christians. Oh, yeah. That's where I want to live. Right there. Uh, and so what do you see? You see this throne that's ablaze with hot judgment, fire, and the wheels. Ancient day thrones had wheels. And so Ezekiel talks about these spinning wheels and this, this glorious sight of fire. It's like lava, fires of lava flowing in judgment. To who? To the ten nation a coalition that's given that's backing this horn this beast called he is called the antichrist or he's called the beast with his sidekick the false prophet the response is courts in session the books are open because he's called the lawless one second thessalonians chapter three another name for the beast or the antichrist whom satan himself not a demon but satan himself will possess Right into that world leader himself. The books are open to judge him and his sins, the false prophet and his sins, the coalition and their sins, and every worshiper that followed them. The books are open to judge them and take care of them. Right? And so uh, we just see this this terrible, awesome thing that's coming. Uh, Isaiah 66 put it this way. See, the Lord is coming with fire and his chariots are like a whirlwind. He will bring down his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. That's Isaiah 66, verse 15. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 24. For then there will be such great tribulation, such has never occurred since the beginning of the world until now, no, not ever. Uh, unless these days have been cut short, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of God's people, the elect, they will be cut short. Those days, that's called the great tribulation there. And so, so they're preparing and the fire comes out and the stage is set to bring the wicked and the unrepentant to justice. And just so you know, If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be there. You will not experience the wrath of God. And I'll tell you why. They're just, I could go on for an hour about this, 
but just let me give you a couple scriptures, okay? Number one, in Revelation chapter six, the seals are open and the great tribulation begins. And it says in Revelation six, the wrath of almighty God has finally been poured out. So we know the great tribulation is called the great wrath of God. Twice in the New Testament, we are told that born-again Christians who love Jesus, who are waiting for him from heaven, are not appointed to God's wrath. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10, Jesus speaking to the church at large, he says, I will spare you from the hour that is coming upon the whole earth. We, don't, we do not go through the tribulation. We are not appointed to wrath. Oh, let me throw one more at you since you're here. <laughs> Revelation, okay, talks about the great tribulation. In verses one, uh, chapters, I should say, one through three, the, the word church is used 20 times. And then suddenly John gets a trumpet call up to heaven where now he's going to view the whole tribulation from heaven, right? And then we get the whole tribulation all the way to chapter 18. Not once, not one time will you find the word church. Why? Because the church isn't there. <laughs> the tribulation, during the tribulation, you can get saved. God has 144,000 Jewish evangelists who are saved, right? Plus, anybody who wants to repent will be saved. So there are saved, you could call them tribulation saints. But, uh, you know, wouldn't you think that God would mention how the church is doing during the tribulation? He only had chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. We don't hear about her. Done. Because she's up and safe. But she returns with him. When he comes... Then we who are hidden in Christ, we shall appear with him, Colossians chapter 3. So just so you know, you know, hey, if you're not saved tonight, you need to get saved. <laughs> you honestly don't want to go through this. Trust me. You know, and then you get these people. Oh, well, if millions of people just disappear, I'll get down on my knees and get saved. Probably not. Why? I'll tell you why. Because in Revelation, it says that they know they're fighting against God and they clench their fists and they refuse to repent of their sexual immorality, their witchcraft and their murders and all of that. They know, but they keep going. You see, there's an, an another word, another thing, and another thing. <laughs> there is a spirit of deception that, that the Bible says is coming so uh, they're going to have to deal with that. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying if you're thinking, well, I'm just going to hold out, you know. Don't be silly. Don't be silly. Thank you, Marianne. <laughs> Don't be silly. All right. So verses 11. So the stage is set. The books are open. The fires flow. And we're getting ready to fix that little horn with the big mouth. All right. And so verses 11 through 14 now uh, give us some details proceeding that are going to proceed now. And so, the, the, you know what? I love verse 11. The little horn is still spouting off. He will rage with that mouth all the way to the pit until he's pushed in. 
just like his followers. They will not stop talking and slandering and hating God and hating his people and criticizing him all the way to the end. Look, he's, he's still spouting off and, and, and uh, God addresses him. While he's talking, they're attacking. Uh, Daniel watches the end of Armageddon. It says there in verse uh, 11 that uh, he's captured and tossed in the lake of fire. You can read all about this in Revelation. Him and his, and his sidekick, the false prophet. So he's got a spiritual advisor, all right? So the Antichrist has a false prophet who calls fire down from heaven. He, 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 he does those kinds of things, right? What your verse just told you is, is the scene where the Lord appears, he's captured with his sidekick, and those two are the first occupants of hell, official hell. Hell, hell is a lake of fire later, right? But it's not filled. Hades is filled, but it's not officially hell yet. It's not officially the lake of fire, but those two those who get to go in, and it says, tossed in alive. That's what Revelation says. Now, with that good news, <laughs> uh, verse 12, love it. By the way, the other nations are divested of their powers, and they enter into the millennial kingdom. So when Christ comes, the saved, there's something called in Matthew 25, the sheep and goat judgment. And the sheep, the nations are judged when he comes back. And, and hello, guess who's helping him? Us. First Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's talking to them about taking each other to court. And he says, what? Don't you guys realize that you, we, will judge the world? Don't you realize that we will judge angels? Probably demons. We. And so what did Jesus say? He said, whoever overcomes, to them I will give to, uh, to sit with me upon my throne. It just means you will share in the administration and the reigning and the ruling of the kingdom to come. So your verse here in verse 12 says, the 10-nation coalition, oh, they're ruined. You know, and by the way, how dumb is this? When Christ appears, they fight against him. That is, that puts the being dumb. Because <laughs> why would you put a being dumb? Because you don't, right? That's just dumb. But You read it, it's like chapter 19 there. He appears and they're making war against him. There's the Lord, fire, What? <laughs> All he has to do, and it says, by the word of his mouth, he just, what does he say? I don't even know. I think it's like, please. <laughs> you know, it's just one, one word, and they just, like that. And it says, blood will be splattered as high as a horse's bridle for 200 miles. If you're not saved, please consider it tonight. It's, it's just, it's unbelievable. And it's coming. It is coming. Check it out. So 13 and 14, we're going to make it tonight, believe it or not. What's coming is a lot of re repetition, so we're not going to comment on all of that. So verses 13 and 14, the grand finale of the second coming, Daniel witnesses the glorious event about which everything is hinging on, the second coming. 
And so Jesus is seen as rightfully receiving authority and power and sovereign uh, decree to rule and reign. And he gets that from God the Father. Now, why is he called the Son of Man? This is great. He came to save Adam's race. God had to become one of us. So somehow God the Father is, is... divested into a human womb and comes God the Son who is called the Son of Man because he's one of us. So that's why Jesus loves to call himself the Son of Man because he was thrilled to do it. How else? What did you owe? You owed a death of a human heart. If he's going to pay your way, he needed to offer the same money, the same debt, and that was a human life. So he had to become the perfect human to be the, the sacrifice. So he's called the son of man, the savior of the world, God the son. Because he looked like a man. So Daniel's looking up and he says, oh, behold, I saw somebody like the son of man. Uh, it means he looked like a man. It, it looked like God, but it looked like a man. And then for Daniel, that's like, that's crazy. Can God be a guy? Yes, Jesus was a man. He is heading the universe as a human being who is also God, fully God. Uh, that's just heavy stuff. But just so, so he says, I, behold, I see the clouds of glory and someone who looked like a man, not like born of a human being. Wow, the son of man. On the night he was betrayed, here's what Jesus said to his accusers. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? He said, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. He's quoting this. (laughs) And they ripped their robes when he quoted Daniel chapter seven. And they said, what more do we need? Proof of blasphemy because they knew the son of man was the term of the Messiah who was the God man. So Jesus said, quotes Daniel. And I tell you the truth, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory just like Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. No. It's it's somewhere in there. Awesome. Let's finish up. Daniel's upset. He wants some clarity. The dream's over. The birds are chirping. But he's like, oh, no, no, I'm not waking up yet. I, I want some clarity. So let's finish up. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of the ones standing there, probably an angel. In a couple chapters, we meet Gabriel. Gabriel's talking to him. So it could be Gabriel. Standing there, and he asked him the true meaning of all this. So I asked him the true meaning, like, what, what is this all about? So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth, but the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the true meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth, bronze claws. We didn't get that before. The beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the 10 horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing 
than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war. He's telling Gabriel the whole thing. You know, Gabriel needs to know. This horn was waging war against the saints and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth. It'll be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The 10 horns are the 10 kings, and sometimes it means nations as well, or leaders, who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue the three kings. This is the, the guy. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his saints, the tribulation ones, and try to change the set times and laws. The saints will be handed over to him for a time, times and half a time. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away, completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. Hmm. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Okay, so we've seen the character of human government beastly and the glorious nature of its conqueror, the kingdom of God, and now the supremacy of God's kingdom. And this goes fast because there's a lot of repetition there. Oh, by the way, how does the Lord refer to himself through all of the tribulation? The lamb. Oh, he's not a four-headed leopard. Oh, he's not a ponderous bear. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But by nature, he refers to himself through the great tribulation, the wrath of the lamb. It means he has a heart that's gentle he, he takes no delight in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their sins and live. That's Ezekiel 33, verse 11. He's gentle. He said, listen, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me, for I am meek. I am gentle and humble in heart. That's the heart of God. He's not a tyrant. He's not a ten-headed beast. He's a lamb. He calls himself the lamb. I like that about him. Those lambs are cuddly. <laughs> Who's afraid of a lamb? I mean, that's, I mean, if you're afraid of a lamb, you've got issues. I mean, don't you? You see a lamb, you know, you just want, what do you want? You just want to cuddle him, you know? I do. Whatever. You don't have to look at me that way. I could point a few of you out right now. So Daniel has a few questions. Let's get through this. The first one's a general question in verse 16, to which he gets a general answer in verses 17 and 18. Uh, the, 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 the angel says, the four beasts are successive world uh, empires that dominate till the end. And he adds, oh, and there's a great uh, reversal coming. Instead of being oppressed, the people of God will at the end be the victors. And they will be reigning and ruling and judging the oppressors. So there's going to be a flip-flop, all right? So he throws that in for him. 
And, and, and that's pretty awesome. And by the way, that's everywhere in, in the Bible. Revelation 1.6, 5.10, 20 verse 6, uh, that we reign and rule with Christ. So he says, hey, okay, next question, please. So verse 19, he says, what's up with that fourth beast? The iron teeth and the bronze claws chews up everybody. And he goes on about that. And he says, while I have you here, Gabriel, what about the 10 horns and that little horn with the big mouth? What's that going on with that whole deal? Uh, that's verses 19 and 20. So the answer is pretty straightforward. It's what we've already heard. You know, the 10 horns are 10 nations. And the world ruler will come up and displace three of them. So either three of them say, hey, we're not on board, or he wars against them. Do you know how easy it will be for 10 of all of those countries in Europe to just band together? They just, they just had a 10-league nation for defense. They're just going to come up with 10, and suddenly he's going to be in the middle. Three of them are going to probably resist him. He's going to get rid of three of them, but they're all going to serve still as his little vassals, right? And, and that's the meaning of the 10. That's what he's saying here. Now, uh, he goes on to say the little, the, the little one is speaking against God and blaspheming, and he's wearing out the saints, verse 21, uh, because you can't buy or sell. There's going to be great persecution. It'd be easier to just get beheaded than to live in the great tribulation. When you can't buy, you can't sell, you can't live, you're living in caves, you're hiding out. He, the, the verb is to wear them down. He wears them down. Now, interesting verse 25 about this little horn, the Antichrist. He will change, he will try to change the set times and laws. What does that mean? It means in the last half of the tribulation, it, it's him and nobody else. Uh, he changes all the rules. There are no more religions allowed. There's no religious holidays. There's no temples and, and uh, shrines. or You know how many world religions there are? No, 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 no. It's all about him. So he changes that. Uh, some people say he changes. There's no more Sundays. All right? He changes all of that. And if you think it's 2018, let's say, uh, 2018. Oh, no, he'll change the calendar. Why? Because it's not 2018 AD, which is Latin for in the year of our Lord. He's going to change the calendar. It'll be in the third year of King Him. All right? <laughs> and, and so he's changing the calendar. He can make it a 10-day work week. You know, he's going to do things like that because he's going to proclaim himself to be God. And so he's going to change the way the whole earth operates. And they're going to buy it for the most part because they're going to say, who's like him? Who's like the beast? Who could defeat him? Because he's going to get a blow to the head. He's going to die and he's going to mimic the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ by Satan himself raising him from the dead. And they say, who's like that? Well, I could answer the question if they were asking me. I'll tell you who's like that and a lot better. Okay, someone who really rose from the dead the real way because of his own power. Yeah, so, all right. I'm, I'm very excited. <laughs> Let's finish up here. So what shakes Daniel to the core is the three and a half years. Now, the word times, times, and a half a time. The word time 
there means time, but it's an idiom for a year because there were seven times for Nebuchadnezzar, seven seasons for Nebuchadnezzar's dementia, and then we're told it was seven years. So we know that that word time is a year. It's double time in, in the original language. A year, two years, and a half a year. Oh, we got the three and a half years again. Revelation has three ways to put from the time he starts his God thing. We got 42 months, Revelation, or you've got 1,260 days, or you've got three and a half years. All three terms are used, and they're all exactly the same. So when he breaks the treaty with Israel, and all of the seals and the trumpets and the bowls start to fall, right? He has 1,260 days. 1,260 days. The tribulation saints who are being beheaded and watching their loved ones being beheaded, they can say to each other, we got 1,260 days, you see? When he comes from the church, for the church, it's a thief in the night. The thief breaks in, gets the valuables and takes off. Everybody's like, oh, we've been robbed. Yeah. That's a surprise. Nobody knows that day. But from the time of the abomination and desolation, when he goes into the temple, he says, you know what, Jews? I'm the Lord. 1260. And during the 1260, millions are martyred. That's what that verse says. They're martyred. All hell is breaking loose, and, and those tribulation saints are being martyred. And, uh, but his days are numbered. 1260 days he gets, and they're given over because they can't buy, they can't sell, and they're being beheaded because they won't take the mark of the beast. And so that's what it's talking about there. Three and a half years. The first three and a half years are bad, but not horrendous. The great tribulation that Jesus speaks of really technically starts in the middle. That's when the treaty's broken and all hell breaks loose. And then all the judgments are falling. And that culminates at seven years. You know what's great about seven? It's God's number. It's everywhere, right? It's six days plus one in the week. It it is, by the way, It is exactly 7,000 years since creation. Now. It's exactly 7,000 years. Right about now. He likes to do things and culminate on the 7th. He really likes that. I'm trying to get you guys excited. (laughs) Don't look like it. All right. So let's end with some happy news here. Um, Let's read from But the Court. The second part there, But the Court, there we go. Let's read out loud from 26 just to uh, 27. 26 and 27 together, all right? Reading. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints, the people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm pretty happy about that. Three implications. 
Three implications. You're sitting there and say, so what? So what? (laughs) Number one, if you're not saved, you need to seek the Lord because he's a refuge and he's a lamb. He loves you. And he laid down his life so that nobody would have to go through this. Number two, as 2 Peter chapter 3 says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? And he goes on to answer it for us. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. The elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God. And number three, and lastly, keep up the good work. I mean, keep yourself on the straight and narrow path because you just want to be in good standing, you know? And, and, and helping others by the way you're living your life, by sharing the gospel. Any second, it's going to be a Tuesday. You're going to just be at Starbucks for a little coffee or something. And done, gone. And then it starts. There'll be the jockeying from the, the power, the ten horns, the little guy. The whole deal will happen. We're gone. And others will have to remain and bear through it. And uh, so do your job. Have your prayer list of people who need special grace. And reach out to them. I've got a letter on my nightstand. I've got a letter to whom it may concern. If you're reading this, how sad, you know, you're left behind. And then I have a letter, and it just, just I, you know, I have it in my office as well, but, you know, I don't think it'll be helpful too much around here, but uh, amen. <laughs> One never knows. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, the great and precious promise, the blessed hope, that we who are alive and remain, Lord, when you come calling, we shall be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with you. We thank you, Lord, for this, these wonderful truths that stir our hearts, help us to, to let them do their work in us and produce good fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.